So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the first riot of the Luddites. Then on Tuesday, we unearthed the mad coincidence of the day two different Dennis the Menaces made their comic strip debuts. On Wednesday, the day the Spanish conquered the last Maya kingdom. Thursday was the day Colonel Sanders sued KFC. And on Friday, we recall how Vincent van Gogh's sister-in-law made his name. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Hello, man fans. Ollie Man here with another exciting instalment of The Modern Man. Hope you're all having a lovely week. The obsessive pedants amongst you may have noticed that as this is episode five, tradition dictates a discussion about parenthood on the pod. I've been in touch with Tom Price and Stuart Goldsmith. We've actually all just been too busy to find a day to meet at the moment. But the good news is hopefully we will be able to bring you a How to Be a Dad part three before the end of this series. However, what I do have for you for this week is was kind of topical because we're about to have the autumn statement by the Chancellor. It's when the Chancellor sort of spells out the financial outlook for the country and it's always an occasion where you'll hear commentators pop up on the telly talking about productivity. Has it gone up? Has it gone down? Uh, how can we as a country be more productive? And I often think I don't want the country to be more productive if it means we all have to work more and we're all going to be miserable. Um, So this week, I'm speaking to a productivity expert, or productivity, uh, if you're from North America, as he is. Uh, Hopefully, there'll be some tips in there to help you make your life a little more efficient. Uh, In the meantime, thanks everyone who's bought us a beer this week. Uh, Louise Wade, Oliver Sloan, Nick Chivers, Ross Freighter, Alistair Bell, Sam Varney, Mark Kluwer, Nathan... And Mikhail in Russia, uh, who's emailed me to say, Ollie, sorry for this intrusion. I know it's impolite to talk money, but before buying you a beer, I'd like to know what your planned budget to run the show is. I think if you could make these costs transparent for everybody, it would be easier to donate. Uh, Well, Mikhail, thank you for asking. I'm setting our initial budget at £5 million. Uh, But uh, really, all you need to know is... If everyone listening to this right now signed up to buy us just one beer a month, then we would instantly be able to make this show weekly all year round. That's my goal. That's what we want to do. And the more of you that do that, the more shows we can make. Uh, So go to modernman.co.uk and click beer money. We really, really appreciate it. Right, in this episode, you're going to learn what Nanogen is and how it can help you get on daytime TV, what women want... It's nothing to do with Mel Gibson. And why productivity porn is a waste of your precious, precious time. Let's go. On this week's Modern Man. Everybody's wired differently, so people have different peak energy times of the day. Staying ahead of the game with the productivity king. I think it's really important that we emphasise that just because something's female-friendly does not mean it will suit every female's taste. And the porn you should watch when your wife is watching too. 
But first, it's time for the zeitgeist with the man who puts the sex in Strawberry Blonde. It's Ollie Pitt. What? What are the trends we should all be thinking about this week, Ollie? Makeup. Back in the day, analogue TV fuzzed out all the bad bits, right? We now live in a 4K world where your phone can take 4K images, your screen at home can display 4K pictures, videos, and it has given birth to the spawnosexual. The what? The spawn-a-sexual. You're going <laughs> to, instead of just saying it in a vaguely threatening way, yeah. you're going to have to talk me through the origins of that word construction. Well, the spur yeah. is for sport. The orn bit yeah. is for porn and sexuals just because it's that's just like a... Sporty porn sexual. Basically, right, what men do is they want to be uber-ripped. Like... Brad Pitt in Fight Club. You remember that body? I do. I mean, yeah. I don't want to be like that. No, I'm modelling myself on Giles Brandreth. But essentially, it's basing your body on sports people and porn stars. It's having this sort of hyper-defined, HD-ready body. You've got to be 4K ready, Ollie. Like yeah. your TV. You've got to be ready. Because you think... I mean, I've been on TV, and I can spot my flaws a mile off. Mm. So for me, I kind of think, oh, maybe I need to be a spawner sexual. I mean, I'm not going to do that because it requires way too much effort. But, anyway. but all around us are examples of men who are constantly in 4K and HD who are completely ill-equipped for that. I mean, in two words, Adam Bolton. Well, I Jeremy mean, Clarkson. Mark Lawson. I mean, those people have, they've got something about them. They're actually quite interesting. Mm. So for people that don't have anything, they want to look good for their selfies, for their Facebook profile, Ollie. It's more than just being on TV. You just mm. need to look good, right? Okay, so what you're saying is actually the technology that's sold to us telling us that we can take ever better pictures of ourselves might ultimately end up in people having ever greater complexes about their own body. And I started off by saying makeup. What I think will happen, yeah. you see, is women have been using makeup for a very long time. Okay, you're predicting a boom in men's makeup. Boom in men's makeup. Interesting. I think that there's going to be so much pressure that the spawner sexuals will take it to a level where they will start using makeup more and more regularly. You'll see it way more often. Mm. That's my prediction. Would you wear makeup? Like, no, no, aside from like being on TV, mm. would you, like walking around the street, would you bother? No, but, no. but actually it's interesting. I've been in the situation, if this has ever happened to you, I've been in the situation where, for whatever reason, for a photo shoot or an interview or whatever, someone's put makeup on me. Mm. Uh, I never refuse makeup. I'm never someone who's like, oh, I don't wear makeup, I'm a real man. That's you ridiculous. Should. You've got great skin. Yeah, thank you, Ollie. But I often find that when I've been done, I'm <laughs> reluctant to wipe it off. Because oh, so, you, so after you've done your, your bit, you then go home. I with go the home and I keep, yeah, because I quite like having an orange tan for the day and having my bald spot covered up right. and stuff. Yeah. How do they cover a bald spot? The product is called Nanogen. Well, it sounds um, really toxic. And if they don't have that, because yeah. that's like a special powder they brush into my bald spot, <laughs> if they don't have that, then they can use dry shampoo for black women. Which also is the same thing on brown hair, fills in the gaps. Okay, so spawnosexuals are going to be using all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Take that's your beauty tips from Ollie Van. No, you know, they, seriously, that's what they're going to do. They're going to be using it on their ball patches, then yeah. they're going to be makeuping their faces and all that stuff. What other trends do you have for us this week, Ollie? Nastiness. This isn't new. Do you watch I'm a Celebrity? Okay, I thought you were going to go President Trump, but okay, let's talk about reality TV. No, I Trump. don't watch I'm a Celebrity, but for reason that I've I've seen it before and it's the same every year so I've done it now no it's not the same it is literally the same every year oh no I'm a big fan I'm a big fan. Really? Yeah, love it. It's literally the same every year. No, they get dumped not, in a helicopter. One of them falls the off. One of them has to clean the toilet. No. There's an old woman. There's a woman in the shower. It's the same every year. No, it's not the same every year. This year, in particular, right? Because what they did this time, they all got on. And yeah, not it's only boring. They all get, no, I was right not no, to watch no, it. Who boring. wants to watch a lot of people getting on? I do. 
Why? Because we've had a whole year of shit, Ollie. It's been a dreadful Tell year. 2016 has been a terrible, terrible year. And I was sat down. Look, I would, I would agree with you usually. I'd say, nah, I want to see people punching each other and getting into a little fight or whatever. But yeah. watching it, I thought I was surprised by my reaction. Because I was like, this is great. They're all getting on. I feel warm inside. Oh, so you, you had the bake-off effect, basically. Oh, yeah, it was great. Here's something completely inoffensive to take away my mind from the fact that the world's falling apart. Completely. Yeah. And I'll tell you what made me uh, realise it even more. The other day, they brought in two people. Right. Danny Baker. And Satan. And this guy called Martin from Homes Under the Hammer. And th- when they went in, both of them, they caused a problem. What do you they mean? were negative. They were negative thinkers. Oh, God, they you sound like Noel No, listen. No, no, no. I'm not trying to sell like... The isn't divided into positive and negative people. I don't believe that. No, but they... They, they sort probably of, they were briefed, weren't they, to go in and make some drama because otherwise there's nothing to watch. Yeah, but what it highlighted for me is that I don't want to see that. You I just wanted see, to watch the friendly, I happy, just clappy see, things. But yeah, I want to see... As a child, were you someone who preferred Disney cartoons or Warner Brothers? Um, Warner Brothers. Okay. Because you've got all the hitting and... You've the got a rebellious spirit about you. Now, yeah. I preferred the Disney. Yeah. I preferred everybody let's just get along... Here's a nice story about some people going to a park with a dog. Nothing happens. They all go home and they like each other. Mm. I now, as an adult, crave the violence and the slapstick comedy. <laughs> I think it all depends how you've been brought up and then wanting to subvert it. Well, I, I don't think it. I think it is specifically for this year, right? I just think that there needs to be all this nasty, horrible stuff that you see on reality TV, in particular, mm. because mm. it's a really vicious medium, and I don't like it. Mm-hmm needs to just change I don't like the bullying on X Factor I hate it no, I think, I, all that stuff I agree that moment has passed like the moment where Gordon Ramsay was like oh you think you're a cook do you well actually you're a little twat that moment's gone but I think there's still need for tension otherwise there's no drama yeah, there's a sort of basic ingredient of Aristotelian drama yeah but there's a difference between tension and being a horrible agreed prick. what's your third and hopefully final trend of the week the death of tapas is that a new Almodovar movie? <laughs> What's the death of tapas? I'll set the scene for you, Ollie. Yeah. Right? You walk into a restaurant. The I'm there. The decor yeah. is classy, perhaps. Mm-hmm. They've gone to the trouble of buying individual chairs from eBay, so the place has got that sort of rustic feel. I know the type. Really nice. Yeah. You feel homely. There's you're neon impressed. lights, but it's not cheap. Exactly. Yeah. And you're thinking, I like this place. Uh-huh. I like it a lot. You grab the menu. You open the menu. And you think, ooh, these prices are good. Yes, yes. <laughs> And then the waiter comes along. Yeah. And he says to you, have you been here before? Yeah. You say no. He goes, well, we're a little bit different from your usual restaurant. Yes. And you're thinking, oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, shit, yeah. We're like an Italian tapas. Fuck off! Yes, yes. What that means is I'm going to have to pay three times as much as I would at Pizza Exactly. Express you're going to no get a miniature reason. bolognese. You're going to yeah. get a little uh, little aperitif of garlic bread. Yeah. And you've got to share it with everybody, even though you don't want to. All I want is a big bowl of bolognese or right. whatever. Like, choose theme of restaurant, okay, so you, put tapas after. Yeah, okay. And I see what you're saying. You're saying rather like nastiness in reality television, mm. perhaps the era has ended for tapas restaurants that aren't serving tapas. However, I would say if it is a Spanish restaurant, then tapas is appropriate. Yeah. No, I just think that uh, I want starter, yeah, main, yeah, dessert. I'm I went to you. a carvery the other day, uh-huh. and carveries have sort of... They've upped their game, Ollie. Have they? Yeah. The last time I went to a carvery, uh, the place smelt like cabbage, mm. and the chairs were like covered in this sort of weird, horrible plastic that, you know, if you shat yourself, it would kind of just drop off on the floor and someone would come mop it up. Goodness, that's vivid. My point is they've upped their game and it's really, really good, really classy, and you have all the lovely delights of Yorkshire puddings and all those kinds of things, and that's what people want now. I don't want little bits of everything. I want just one hearty, amazing dish. 
You want back to basics, don't you, this week, Holly? You yep. want a world where people aren't obsessed with their looks, where they can eat a hearty meal and where no one's nasty to them. Yeah, I'm just sick of 2016. Yeah, well, good fucking luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> if people have a suggestion for next week's show, what should they do with it? They can tweet us mm. on Twitter, mm. uh, at The Modern Man, mm-hmm. or um, alternatively, uh, they can just leave us alone. Uh, before we find out what your challenge is for next month, let's pause to thank our sponsors for the Zeitgeist this month, BBC Maestro. Yes, BBC Maestro is a subscription-based streaming platform. It's got loads of amazing online courses that you can take part in, which are taught by some really incredible names. Yeah, like Alan Moore, Julia Donaldson. It's an incredible repository of online video lessons from people who really know what they're talking about. Um, I'm really excited because Bill Lawrence is on there. Do you know who that is? I don't. Should I know this? He's a, well, no, it's a geeky thing to know who he is, but okay. he's, a, he's a comedy writer. Mm. And he's done an online course for BBC Maestro in writing comedy for television. He's the guy behind Scrubs and Ted Lasso. The thing about these courses is they're long. Like, he's, it's not just guy talks to camera for half an hour and shares some tips that you'd get if you went to go and see them speaking at any literary event. He has done a bespoke 21-lesson, four-and-a-half-hour course on how to write comedy for TV, how to pitch, how to work with actors, how to find your voice. I mean, they're proper deep dives. The one that really stood out for me, though, is... Um Brian Cox teaching acting. and mm. I, I don't think I've ever said this to you, Ollie. But I remind you of Brian Cox? You, yours. I do have that steely determination. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's say yeah. But I have always wanted to learn how to act properly. I don't necessarily want to be an actor, but I just quite like the idea of um, knowing how to act. And the thing about Brian Cox is, I mean, what a name to be teaching you something like yeah. acting. Well, there'd be transferable skills, wouldn't there? Even if you have no intention of being an actor, you know, the, the things that he's going to be talking about in that course, how to work with other actors, how to interpret your character, how to learn your lines, all of that stuff might be relevant for whatever you do for a job. Yeah, I was thinking more of explaining to my other half that I did put the clothes away. She just thinks that I didn't, but then I could act the way that I did. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, maybe you will make that pivot, Ollie. You know, there's there's always roles for the back half of the calf in uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. He's saying I'd be <laughs> a literal ass. Anyway, uh, if this appeals to you as it should, then use the code MAN to get 40% off your favourite video course or 40% off a subscription at bbcmaestro.com. Yes, go to bbcmaestro.com and use the code M-A-N-N to get your 40% off your favourite video course or 40% off a subscription, which gives you access to every single BBC Maestro course. Let the greatest be your teacher with BBC Maestro. Now, how productive are you? You're probably listening to this whilst you're doing something else. You are commuting or you're in the bath or you're doing the ironing. You're a multitasker. You get shit done, right? That way you can cram your day with stuff. But be honest, do you worry about how much time you waste? Could you be doing more of what you love doing and still do your work more efficiently, more smartly, more productively? Well, one man who knows is Chris Bailey. He could well be the most productive man in the world. Because in a series of experiments upon himself, he spent a year trying out the various different techniques 
that you hear peddled around aimed at increasing his personal productivity, but he then measured the actual outcomes to devise what he says is a perfect system for managing his life. Now, uh, apologies in advance for the poor sound quality on my mic during this interview. I had very unproductively left my good microphone at home, uh, but I had to make the most of my meeting with Chris because he'd flown over to Britain from Canada for just a short time, and I think I got a really enlightening conversation out of him. Here it is. I don't know what it is, but I've always had this sense that we only have so much time. We spend hours binge-watching Netflix, and you know, there's a bit of return in that in terms of it, the how engaged we are with it and the meaning it has. But there are other things that you know are, are much more valuable and meaningful. So why not spend this limited amount of time in a valuable and meaningful way? Most people, when they think about being productive, it's so they can spend more time on the beach. Yeah. Um, is that valuable? Well, I think there's insane amount of value in that. You know, as far as our productivity is concerned, this relaxation is so crucial. Um, we have a limited pool of physiological energy in our brain. And when we deplete that, our productivity is toast. That's why when you don't take breaks, your brain takes them for you. But I would also argue that if you intend to have a perfectly relaxing day on a beach somewhere and put your feet up and totally unwind and read a good book, and then you do, uh, I would argue that you're perfectly productive in those uh, cases too, because you achieved your intention. And an experience like being on the beach, I love. there's nobody who likes being on the beach more than me. I find meaning in that. I find meaning in that relaxation and soaking in information. You know, that, that's what's meaningful to me. If I set out to do that, if I form that intention to do that, and then I do, I, I would say, you know, you're perfectly productive. Okay, talk me through your year of experimentation then. What was the first thing you tried and, and was it the thing that you thought would work or did you just want to tick everything off the list? It's funny because my definition of productivity changed so much over the course of the year. The ones I started at the start of the project um, they were writing 100,000 words over the course of the year. Um, I ended up writing 200,000, uh, gaining 10 pounds of muscle mass. Um, they were kind of the longer-term ones that I, at the start of the project, I ended up gaining well, Where 15. did that even come from in your brain that you thought gaining muscle mass would help you be more productive at well, your work? Yeah, well, what I started with is the idea of what I wanted to measure and work backwards to kind of a weird experiment to measure that. And, and so fitness is something that, you know, we feel more energy after we go for a workout um, and so I thought, why not put that to the test and, and maybe take it to the extreme and push on my limits a bit? So did you have to explain to a personal trainer who was really built <laughs> that your reason that you wanted to be there was to be more productive? Yeah, and, and that was the lens that I saw everything through over the course of the year is what detracts from my productivity and what adds to my productivity. Um, and some of them were a bit counterintuitive. Like um, the one that comes to mind as being the most counterintuitive was meditating for 35 hours over the course of a week. I've had this daily meditation ritual for, you know, 30 minutes for I think five, six, seven years by now. And you look at the two ideas, right? Productivity is about doing more and faster. Meditation is about just kind of sitting there and watching your breath and trying to refocus on it over and over again. It seems so unproductive. And so I stopped. Um, but 
after I stopped, I noticed that several things began to happen. Um, I became more stressed out. I became more distracted. Um, things seemed to affect me more. I couldn't refocus as well. I had less energy because I didn't have the awareness to step back from my work. And that's when I ran this experiment to meditate for 35 hours over the course of a week to see the impact. The, the thing that I wanted to measure was meditation to see what impact that had on my productivity. And I noticed that while I didn't have as much time that week, naturally, because I was meditating for 35 hours. I overcompensated for that fact by bringing more attention to my work and more energy to my work. And when I looked at how much I actually accomplished during that week, you know, how much I was able to research, the interviews I was able to conduct, the amount of words I was able to write, I was more productive that week than in most other weeks of the project because I was able to bring this deliberateness to my work and focus so much more clearly on it. And I I think it goes to this idea that productivity can be so much more about just managing our time it can be about managing our attention and our energy too yeah that seems to be a central paradox about productivity is you talk to to mums and dads about this as well at the moment they become parents and i'm obviously very much in this mindset at the moment yeah uh, i have less time i'm tired and yet, actually, when I sit down at my computer and do work for that reason, I really do focus on the work in a way that I never used to. I used to take massive, long detours <laughs> into Wikipedia, and yeah. that doesn't happen now. And I, I think the, the shift there is the value of your time goes up. Because for every minute you're working, you could be spending that minute with your kids. And so when that opportunity cost is so high, um, the value of your time becomes higher and you have no choice but to, but to be productive. Okay, so what really didn't work in your year of experimentation? <laughs> what was a complete oh, waste man. of time? Another one of the experiments I started was waking up at 5.30 every morning for three months. And uh, I, I struggled... The Margaret Thatcher technique. Yeah, God, yeah. You know, I woke up at 5.30, I meditated, I read, I, I read the newspaper, I had a coffee before the rest of the world even woke up. But eventually, you know, I realized that I absolutely hated this ritual. I had to go to bed um, in order to get enough sleep. Um, so I had more energy the next day um, when a lot of my friends wanted to hang out. And I had to compromise my social life and my happiness for the sake of this pure efficiency. And, you know, eventually I ran into research that shows that there's no connection between our socioeconomic standing and what time we wake up at. It's what we do with the hours of our day after we wake up that make the difference in how much we accomplish over the course of the day. And everybody's wired differently, so people have different peak energy times of the day. And I found that when I looked to how much I accomplished over the course of the day, I was less productive in that experiment than you know most other times of the productivity project. And another thing that's happening clearly is we're all relying on technology more and we all sort of expect the people that we're emailing, the people that we're calling, the people that we're instant messaging to be there and answering immediately. Now one thing that I noticed immediately when I contacted you out of the blue uh, is I got an out of office reply uh, which basically said something like, thanks for your email, uh, I only check my emails whatever it was at 9 o'clock in the morning, I'll get back to you soon. Our, our time might be the most limited but, but our attention is what's in the most demand. I, I think technology exists for our convenience and not the convenience of every person on the planet who wants to contact us. Um, and maybe being available only once a day over email is a bit douchey and not everybody has the flexibility to do that. But 
to me, my attention is really, really valuable. It's, it's one of the primary ingredients I use in order to get work done. It's, it's what allowed me to write a book, and it's what lets me do talks and, and things of that nature. And so there's much higher leverage things in our work than checking email or doing social media. Our real work is never in email. It's not in being a traffic cop. It's in engineering a new product that helps people out. It's in uh, connecting with new customers to expand our business. It's, it's to do these tasks that are so integral to the work that we do. Um, It's usually not an email. Isn't there a danger that by trying to seek a more productive life, that in itself is a form of procrastination? That actually a lot of people that buy too many books on this and listen to too many podcasts about this, they're spending too much of their time listening to how to be more productive and therefore are less productive. And that's the thing, right? For, for all the time you spend reading about productivity, you have to make that time back and then some, or else you're just looking at productivity porn. And, and that's the thing that I found over the course of this year-long deep dive is there is more productivity porn out there than there is real advice that leads you to accomplish more every day. What, give me an example of productivity porn. Waking up early. is a big one or you know reorganizing uh, or color coding or prioritizing you know by different levels or different colors in a moleskin notebook or whatever the hell you know it is that's on lifehacker these days you don't earn that time back that you spend doing these productivity tactics you know the rule of three is a good side-by-side comparison to you know a, a rule such as you know color coding all the tasks in your day the rule of three is a it's a real process that only takes a few minutes where you separate everything that's important in your work from everything that isn't and on a daily basis. So when you'll actually action it, um, whereas color code, I, I don't know why that example came to mind, but it, it's, it's that type of advice that really, it frustrates me because it's fun to read about, yeah. but you don't earn that time back. And, and so I, I think the value of a productivity uh, nugget or piece of advice is directly related to how much time it lets you earn back and because that's that's really related to productivity productivity is how much you accomplish so the best tactics out there should lead you to accomplish more and i couldn't help noticing as well just before uh, this interview we went to a coffee shop and yeah. you bought yourself a coffee mm-hmm. um some people are concerned that too much caffeine is a problem for productivity as well that they feel like they're achieving more because they're going quickly but it's <laughs> it's a drug the thing about caffeine is you invariably have a caffeine crash later on in the day um, and you can't avoid that um, there are some ways to lessen it by doing things like drinking green tea or matcha but you have to pay that amount of energy back later on in the day through that caffeine crash so you've made a calculation with that coffee right i have you know later on in the day i don't need as much energy as i need right now yeah and it's it's a simple choice but it's a you know it's a intentional choice where energy will give me more value with us chatting now and with me visiting a uh there's an art gallery called the tate here in london right after this i'll be able to soak in things more there i'll get more meaning out of this energy than i would later on in the day when i have to do a couple of routine meetings in my work this is the same justification i use for having a beer with lunch i'm sure (laughs) i'm sure i shouldn't no you probably shouldn't i think yeah this kind of vaguely post-coital glow sitting here with my fish and chips (laughs) (laughs) it's much better that i feel spaced out and unable to work at this point because it's making me happy yeah if it makes you happy do what makes you happy man yeah well i still have to draw the line at one (laughs) yeah you probably yeah you probably should um unfortunately i didn't find much of a correlation between alcohol and caffeine during the project um drinking caffeine is this magical way of summoning more energy from later on in the day and putting it right now 
you know, alcohol is kind of this way of borrowing energy and happiness from the next day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And in your mission to become the world's most productive man, what have you got left to accomplish? What actually bothers you, makes you think, you know what, I need to work on that? Frankly, I, I think I need to work on enjoying the process along the way, um, as opposed to just uh, thinking about what's next. You know, you need to think about what's next, but w- when you're doing your work, I, I think it's, it's so crucial to enjoy it. And so that's what I'm working on right now. Uh, you know, my mind has this tendency to race ahead of itself and, and go on to the next thing. But um, I, th- I think just enjoying things as they happen is something I, I need to do better. Chris Bailey there. You can find out more about Chris on his website, alifeofproductivity.com, and in his book, The Productivity Project, which is out now. But if you want to be even more productive and find those links quickly, they're all on our website. This episode of The Modern Man is supported by Beer 52, the brilliant British-based craft beer club. And have they got a cracking offer for you? As a Modern Man listener, you can get 50% off a box of eight delicious craft beers. That's right, eight lovely beers sent directly to your home or hell, your office. Why not? For just 12 quid. All you need to do is head over to beer52.com slash modern 52 to claim your half price first box of craft beer but then there's no obligation to keep subscribing and for everyone who takes out the offer our friends at beer 52 will chuck us some beer money that's right beer for everyone reward the future you at beer52.com slash modern 52 Right, so I'm conversationally lubricated and ideologically erect, and I'm ready for my weekly chat with Alex Fox. It's the foxhole. Hello, Alex. Are you ready to slide into the foxhole, slippery and uh, slick? I am ready to thrust our way through another listener's question. I've got some really thrustable news to start us off with. Please, go ahead. Do you remember we were talking about my highly erotic and yet shocking visit to Rio's The Naked Sex Sauna on Kentish Town Road. Do I? I've had about half a dozen people email me about it asking for more details. Apparently we didn't go into enough. Unfortunately, nobody can go into enough or, or even get enough muff there now because Rio's has burnt down. Apparently there was a huge fire that started in one of the private cabins near the smoking area. Uh, oh and yeah, in the middle of the day and there were huge plumes of black smoke emitted from the, the sauna premises. And we, uh, Actually, when we were talking about smoking fetishes just a few weeks ago, I did point out that you want to keep that away from any bed linen. It's a bit of a terrible combo, really, isn't it? Really hot sauna plus smoking area. But is it going to come back? Do you know? A word on the street, on Kentish Town Road, in fact, yeah. uh, is that it's going to take them around six months to renovate the place. So uh, We'll have to go back and record an episode when it's ready. I say we, on no account are you seeing me naked. So many people that I spoke to were lamenting the fact that this is yet another closure, mm. albeit this time for damage reasons rather than financial reasons or pressures from the council, it's another closure, at least in London, of a sex positive venue. Um, lots of kinky clubs are closing down, lots of the traditional club spaces where events of that nature would take place are, are having licenses revoked for that type of play. It's one fewer place that you can now go to to be sexually open with people so it's a bit of a shame really uh it is time for this week's listener question brought to you by mycondom.com alex remind us of their wonderful service 
They stock an enormous range of sometimes quite hard to find condoms and as well as getting your 15% Foxhole discount, you can also get up to 20 free condoms when you make your first order. Just for signing up. Just for signing up and getting on down. free fucks. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, the condoms don't come with the fucks. Yeah. Tell, that's, that's an added extra. Tell the teenage me that. <laughs> I was frustrated. Uh, right, this question comes from someone who wishes to remain anonymous, but they say, Alex, my girlfriend has expressed an interest in watching porn with me. I understand there is a genre of female-friendly porn that might be better suited to her tastes rather than the raunch I ordinarily go for. Any suggestions on distributors, directors or titles that might fit this need? Well, first up, maybe we should address the idea of female-friendly porn, because I don't know whether all listeners will know exactly what that means. Um, The idea is that a lot of traditional porn has been made very much to please the male gaze. So the action can be very extreme and and quite forceful at times. It's often shot from a male point of view, a male perspective. So what you're looking at is in in the body of a man, you know. There's a lot of emphasis on things like cum shots and facials and and ejaculation which is not what all women want to see so female friendly porn in contrast for a start tends to have lots more different body types there's a lot more scene setting there tends to be more storytelling a much more erotic build-up to really like set a sense that the something... bit the men fast forward through basically well, There's some more women, of that. Some women fast forward through it as well. As much as I really support female and couple friendly porn, I think it's really important that we emphasise that just because something's female friendly does not mean it will suit every female's taste and no, vice versa. It, it goes back to the thing of Fifty Shades of Grey being a thing that was mostly read by women, right? Erotic literature tends not to appeal to men because they tend to be more visual. These are generalisations. We're, ge- we're generalising, but, but I think it's really know, important generalizations for us to for a say reason, aren't we're, they? we generalise. Yeah. So uh, female friendly porn send, tends to do more storytelling and there's a lot more of a build-up to to give people a chance to really get turned on and, and immersed in the action there tends to be much more of a focus on female pleasure so you see female masturbation female orgasms uh, guys going down on girls and a lot of it as well because there's more of a drive to make it good in general it tends to be good in terms of ethics as well. So the people performing, the people producing, everyone working on it gets treated fairly and gets a fair wage. As a result, a lot of it you will be expected to pay a fair price for as well, which I fully support. Okay, so give us some brands, some directors, some places we can visit online where we should be downloading our couple porn. There are tons. One of my favourites is a relatively new site called Frolic Me, uh, which not only provides films that are shot in a very real way, they're still really erotic and beautiful, but they try and cast people who haven't had lots of plastic surgery, um, the way they're filmed means that they're beautifully lit and everything but what you're seeing are you know is real it's accompanied by photography because a lot of people like to get off to still images as well uh, and there's a very minimal amount of retouching well there's lots lots of touching but less photographic retouching and the thing i love about frolic me is it's also accompanied by written erotic stories so you can read a story to get in the mood God, then watch sounds like the a story meeting in an office trying to get through all this paperwork whilst you're lying on a bed together trying to watch something visual i mean how, how do you get all the accompaniments ready well maybe the lady or or the gent or whoever could read the story in their own time and start thinking about that, start building their fantasy and then watch it brought to life 
in full surround sound and surround all sorts of other things with their partner. It's another option. It offers something different that turns people on. So okay. that's one. Give me one other suggestion of a really good place to get it. Well, probably one of the biggest names in the feminist and female and couple-friendly porn scene is Erica Lust, mm-hmm. uh, who's a Swedish female porn producer. She's actually got a big campaign going on at the moment to try and encourage more women to get into porn, not just watching it, not just starring in it but actually filming it she posits the idea that if a woman is creating the film then she's more likely to create something that other women would like to see and uh, there is one more company i should definitely mention as well because they're uk based and that's joy bear they concentrate on really credible storylines so rather than you know the pizza delivery guy or the uh, the, the plumber coming to the door and everybody getting jolly rogered within 30 seconds they have this test where they say well if you can't imagine it happening in real life it probably won't occur in one of our films now, with what's the, the idea point that of that Surely the point of fantasy is to explore something that's beyond your actual sexual experience arguably but if you're it's seeing not people something... trapped in a loveless marriage in their 20th year <laughs> no it's all very erotic um the well, idea what's a, what's a plausible scenario well from their point of view they think that if you're watching something that could feasibly happen to you in real life that that makes it more relatable and even more exciting okay. and do these companies offer the same service for same-sex couples as well? I'd say there are other porn production companies that are more suited to producing stuff for queer people. There's a really great series called Crash Pad that that make really, really brilliant, real-life queer porn. Although you'd be surprised the number of women who love to watch gay porn. Mm. They love to watch um, men pleasuring each other and getting off on each other. That brings me on to my next point. The first thing that our question asker should maybe ask himself is what kind of porn his lady likes to watch because she may well not want something that's sort of quite gentle and story-led and believable. Mm. She might want some fucking hardcore, unbelievable, triple X, extreme hot crackers Orgy. Or, yeah. yeah. BDSM and then some. Yeah. In which, which case, kink.com. Well, this, this is the thing. I, I wonder if the lady in a monogamous straight relationship who comes to her boyfriend and says, let's watch porn together, is maybe actually giving permission to say, look, I know you watch this dirty stuff. I know you watch whatever it is, Bukaki and Fisting and Threesomes. I want to watch that too. And actually, yeah, you're absolutely right that the, the sort of slow erotic approach may not be what she wants at all. Or she might be saying... I've been watching all this really, really deeply fetishistic stuff in my in my private life, and I'd quite like to introduce that to our relationship. So maybe we could start watching porn together, yeah. and then I will gradually introduce you to the visuals of something I'd like you to reenact. And I just would say, finally, if you are watching on a laptop together, turn off your WhatsApp notifications. That's just an unhorny distraction. (laughs) Uh, Alex, as ever, thank you for your advice. If listeners have a question for you, what do they need to do with it? They need to wander over to modernman.co.uk and hit feedback to ask me a question. They certainly do. And thank you again to mycondom.com for sponsoring our listener questions. Listeners, you can get 15% off if you just type in the word foxhole at checkout. Well, that's nearly it for this week's Modern Man. Remember to follow us on Twitter at TheModernMan or I'm at Facebook.com slash OllieMan. I do have time, though, to announce a new ambassador. It is Nick from Queensland, Australia. Uh, he says, Ollie, I've just finished an epic road trip from Brisbane to Sydney, then to Melbourne and back to Brisbane with my wife and her sister who had come over from the UK for a holiday. We listened to all your episodes on the trip and love them. 
Uh, that is an absolute head fuck, Nick. I'm surprised you didn't career off the road. Uh, he says, if you don't have a ambassador for Australia, I would love to be one. And if you do have a ambassador for Australia, then put me down for Queensland as it's a bloody big country. Uh, so I now anoint you ambassador for Queensland. Congratulations. Our theme music is by Django Django from their self-titled debut album. And this is our record of the week. It's called Dry. It's by Foreign Fields and it's out now on Caroline Records. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll see you next Tuesday. I've had a year spent in time.